Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let Sheol let a, uh, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you have refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terrors strike you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. 
Now, if I were to write you a blank check, what would you write into it? Some of you don't actually know what checks are. Uh, before the days of internet banking, when you wanted to give money to people from your bank account, you would get one of these things. I found this in a museum. That's not true. This is an old checkbook. Uh, you would write in, pay William, and then you write the amount. What would you write if I gave you a blank check? Now, probably if I gave you a blank check, you'd just throw it away. I mean, you're only going to get what's in my bank account. It's not going to do you much good. But what if somebody more impressive were to write you a blank check? What if God were to write you a blank check? What if God said, what would you like me to give to you? What would you ask for? That might seem like a pretty unlikely scenario, but it has happened a few times in the Bible. Perhaps most famously in 1 Kings 3, as the great King Solomon was ruling Jerusalem about a thousand years before Jesus. And Solomon looked at his kingdom, the great many people whom he ruled, and he gave the answer printed there on the handouts. He said to God, give your servants, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? When God wrote Solomon a blank check, he wrote into it wisdom. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. We've spent the last few months in this term looking at the books of the Bible that are sometimes called the wisdom literature. With each one, we've only been dipping in, getting a flavor so that these unfamiliar books of the Bible might become a bit more familiar and so that they might be a bit easier for us to visit ourselves again in the future. And that's no less true of Proverbs, which we're going to be looking at through the summer here at the 6 p.m. on Sundays and again on Wednesdays at Summerlink. Again, we won't be able to cover everything, just dipping in to get a flavor and hopefully to help us to read it for ourselves. But maybe you're wondering, why is it worth looking at this book? Why come Sunday by Sunday all the way through the summer when you could be enjoying the amazing heat wave that we're promised? Why come on Wednesdays when we're, we're going to look at the same passage that we've been looking at on the Sunday? Why bother coming? Well, because when Solomon was given a blank check from the Lord, he wrote wisdom. And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And this book is the result. Which takes us to our first point there on the handout. Proverbs offers wisdom. Let me read again from verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their riddles. You can go to 1 Kings to find the narrative of Solomon's wisdom. It would be well worth reading 1 Kings 1 to 11 when you get the chance. But this book gathers many of his proverbs, his wise sayings, in order, verse 2, that we might know wisdom and instruction. Of course, wisdom is one of those weird concepts that we sort of understand but would struggle to define, which is why I think verse 3 really helps us to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. 
In other words, the wisdom in this book is about enabling us to make good decisions in God's world, to deal wisely, to know the the righteousness, the right thing to do, the just thing to do when we're making judgments, the equitable way to deal with things. It's not about pithy statements to tell you what to do. Sometimes it is, but as we'll see later in the book, sometimes they don't tell you what to do. They simply describe the world the the way that it is. Proverbs 13 verse 7, for example, tells us one pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. That's not telling you what to do. It's just saying that the world is like that. When it comes to money, appearances can be deceiving. Maybe I do have lots of money in my bank accounts. (laughs) But sometimes they tell you what to do. Other times they're just describing the world the way that it is. What they're always there to do is to help you to understand the world. They are statements for wise dealing, to help you to govern well. After all, that's what Solomon was asking for, wasn't it? Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? This book is set up as the Proverbs of the King, the Proverbs, verse 1, of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, And he's handing on to those who rule after him. So verse 8, here, my son. Verse 10, my son. Verse 15, my son. Chapter 2, verse 1, my son. And so it goes on. Proverbs is this big book of the king's wisdom to teach his son how to understand the world so that he can deal wisely and govern well. But just in case you think, therefore, this is a book for someone else, Uh, that it makes it irrelevant for all of us. I don't think there's any royalty here, though. Again, if we haven't met, do come and say hello to me after our meeting. If you think it's not for you, we need to recognize that we all need to know how to rule well. Those of us who were here for our series in Genesis last term might remember that God's commission to humanity was to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Uh, We're all kings in that sense. Uh, Even in Proverbs, we can see that it's addressing more than just the future king. Sometimes it's addressed my son, other time sons, plural, to extend it beyond that. Proverbs is there, if you like, to help the king and all of his subjects to understand the world. Proverbs offers instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. And that is something that all of us need. Certainly would have changed Westminster this week, wouldn't it? I don't know how interested you were in the political turmoil of recent days, but as I was preparing this sermon and listening to the news, I couldn't help feeling that every single one of our politicians could have really been better off if they'd just studied this book a bit harder. It offers, verse 4, prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. They've been in short supply in Westminster this week, haven't they? If only they'd had learned this wisdom and committed it to heart. It's why Martha's prayer was such a good prayer just a few minutes ago that we might pray our next prime minister is somebody who does have wisdom as this book unfolds it. Not that they haven't thought about wisdom. I'm sure they've read all of the political strategies going. But what Proverbs offers is a particular kind of wisdom, the greatest kind of wisdom, wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
for all of the so-called wisdom knocking around the place. The kind that we should really be looking for is that founded on the fear of the Lord. We'll be thinking a bit more about the fear of the Lord at Summerlink on Wednesday, so do come back for that. But for the moment, let me suggest that it's about seeing the Lord rightly, recognizing the greatness of the Lord. The one who fears the Lord is the person who realizes they need help, that they need wisdom and instruction. It is that humble recognition that knows my place and knows God's place that sets me up to rule well in God's world, that makes me crave all of the wisdom and understanding that I can get hold of from him. You can see why the one who despises wisdom and instruction is called a fool in verse 7. What a foolish position to occupy. How idiotic. What a great strategy for guaranteeing that you stay stupid. Despise wisdom and instruction. Nice and easy. Can you see why the foundation of all that is to follow is to fear the Lord? If you don't fear the Lord, you won't learn from him. This is, as our sermon title calls it, the beginning of wisdom. I think we tend to think of wisdom and fear of the Lord as just two different ideas, but Proverbs holds them both together. And the more you think about it, the more you realize that must be right. If we want to understand God's world, if we want to make progress in it, if we want to make wise decisions to have prudence and knowledge and discretion, well then first and foremost, we need to view God rightly. How very many things get messed up the moment that God gets jettisoned. This is, after all, where wisdom was lost at the beginning. Again, those who were in our Genesis series last term might remember that when Adam and Eve chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were choosing wisdom apart from God. They were choosing wisdom outside of God, wisdom without the fear of the Lord. It was the most foolish act ever done. It's where everything went wrong, and it continues to be where everything goes wrong still today. Wisdom starts here with the fear of the Lord. You are wiser, able to live in God's world better, able to understand God's world better, able to deal more wisely if you fear the Lord. When I started at university, there was a whole aspect of the course that I was behind on because I hadn't studied the right A-levels. And it didn't matter how much extra stuff I went on to learn, I was always going to be lagging behind until I caught up with that foundational teaching. Well, so also, to live in God's world, it doesn't matter how much extra wisdom we accumulate, we will never be able to live wisely without catching up on this foundational teaching. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is primary school, nursery school in wisdom's education system. Like the mathematics PhD who doesn't know how to count, or the English professor who doesn't know the alphabet. Well, so also the person who doesn't fear the Lord is destined to remain simple. Maybe you're like me and you struggle to feel wise in front of clever friends who aren't Christian. I'm going to be seeing my book group that I meet up with once a month in about a week, and I very often feel just a bit stupid around them because they're very, very clever people. But I'm inclined to feel most stupid when they dismiss the Bible out of hand. Of course, no one believes that anymore. Proverbs says, God says, the beginning of, uh, the beginning of knowledge 
is the fear of the Lord. And maybe you're a guest here this evening looking in on the claims of Jesus. And you're really welcome with us. And you might think that what I've said is really unfair. Do come and tell me later. But if this is God's world, if God made it, can't you see that you're significantly handicapped if you have a wrong view of its designer? That you're instantly better off if you have a right fear of the Lord's. That's not to deny that it's possible to be stupid and a Christian, and I'm not looking at anyone at this particular moment. (laughs) That it is possible It is possible to grasp the beginning of knowledge and then not to build on it, not to get the rest of what this book says. There is more, as we'll see over the summer. But it is impossible to be wise in the world that God has made, to be truly wise without being a Christian. The wisdom that matters to God is wisdom that begins with a fear of the Lord. Now, some of you will say, does it really matter that much? Looking at a blank check with God's signature on it, are you really going to put wisdom in there when you could be getting so many other things? Which is why we need point two there on the handouts. It is a matter of life and death. Matter of life and death. It feels a bit like an overstatement, one of those things that preachers just throw in to try and kind of wake you up at this point in the sermon. A bit excessive, maybe. But that is the way that the rest of the chapter plays out. Uh, after a beautiful commendation of wisdom in verses eight and nine we get these two alternative calls that we can respond to. Uh, Firstly, in verses 10 to 19, we get a group of those who don't fear the Lord. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Uh, When you hear the voice of sinners, uh, we're told, don't follow. They offer riches, verse 13. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. But we're told, verse 15, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Where in verse 11, their invitation was to let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent. In verse 18, we're told that the men lie in wait for their own blood. They said an ambush for their own lives. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, there's the first call that we could respond to, those who don't fear the Lord, and it's death that is on offer. But then we hear the call of wisdom personified, wisdom herself from verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out, At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? Uh, Where the gang of sinners is offering death. Wisdom is offering good things. Verse 23, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I'll pour out my spirits to you. I'll make my words known to you. In fact, just flick over the page to chapter 3 and verse 13. And you'll see this even more pronounced. Chapter 3 and verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. And her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. And in her left hand are riches and honor. Verse 18. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. 
And you see the contrast from what the sinners were offering, from those who don't fear the Lord. She is offering life, even the tree of life, verse 18 there. Something like the Garden of Eden. But if you are to ignore the cry of wisdom, just flick back to chapter 1, verse 24. If you ignore her, chapter 1, verse 24, because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. On one level, this is simply a description of how, to, uh, how life is going to run. If you live life in rebellion against God's wisdom, against the wisdom of the creator of the world that we live in, it's going to go wrong. Of course it is. Whereas if you live life in fear of the Lord, in submission to him, in humble obedience to him, if you live life running with the grain of God's universe, of course that's going to go better. And not all the time, everything's always going to look sunnier. And we've seen in all of the wisdom literature this term, and you can see later in this book of Proverbs, that things don't go perfectly. We live in a broken world, a cursed world. The claim that Christians will always be happy and healthy and rich in this life is a lie, and we need to say that clearly. But it is better to live in this world running with the grain of God's design. And life will inevitably come up against loads of obstacles if we work against it. But I think it's saying more than that. Beyond this life, beyond our day-to-day existence, there is an even greater sense in which the choice between wisdom and folly is a choice between life and death. Because we're talking about wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord, we're talking about whether you choose to live life in relationship with God or not. And that is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. That's why lots of the language in this chapter feels like it could be coming from the prophets in the Bible, pronouncing curses on those who've rebelled against God. It's as though it's not just wisdom crying in the streets, verse 20, but almost as though we're hearing God himself speaking in the streets. That's why wisdom's offer in verse 23 to pour out my spirit sounds so much like the Lord's. Or in verse 24, describing stretching out my hand, turn a phrase often uh, given to the Lord in the Bible. Since wisdom is at its heart about your response to the Lord God himself, since the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord's, then wisdom is a matter in that sense of life and death. It has eternal implications. And maybe now you can see why it might be something that you want to write into your blank check given from the Lord's. Wisdom, this kind of wisdom, founded on the fear of the Lord. And yet, many make the wrong choice. Many make the wrong choice. Now, that's evident from the gang in verses 10 to 19, those sinners who are calling people to follow with them. But it's more than that. There's a sort of negative emphasis all the way through this chapter. Wisdom's cry in verses 20 to 33 is overwhelmingly negative. In fact, did you notice, she's not just warning what would happen if you did the wrong thing. She's assuming you've already got it wrong. Verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen. 
have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Verse 25, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Her listeners, they've already failed and she's delivering a verdict of condemnation. Because by the time this book is written, many people have already made the wrong choice. Even Solomon, the one who made the right choice in 1 Kings 3, the one who wrote wisdom into his blank check, he made the wrong choice later on in his life. Later in 1 Kings, we read that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. He accumulated amazing, world-renowned wisdom. But in the end, he lost his grip on the fear of the Lord. And that was the beginning of the end for all of those in his kingdom. From there on in, the nation just unraveled and ended up getting taken into exile a few generations later. Many make the wrong choice. Even Solomon, great Solomon, wise Solomon, lost that foundation of the fear of the Lord and his whole kingdom crumbled. And that was bad news for everyone in it. Many make the wrong choice. And so don't we read Proverbs 1 with a bit more sadness. Here is the collected wisdom of Solomon, but collected by someone who knew that Solomon made the wrong choice in the end. And maybe even Solomon himself gathered these words to underline his failure to encourage his descendants to learn from his mistakes. Hear, my son, hear, my son. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. Fools like me despise wisdom and instruction. Many make the wrong choice. But verse 33, whoever listens to wisdom will dwell secure without dread of disaster. A king like that is going to rule his kingdom well. A king like that is going to keep his people safe. It's as though Solomon is saying, hear, my son, many make the wrong choice. Don't be a king like me. Be a king who is wise, who listens to wisdom, wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord. How we need a king like that. When we realize that many make the wrong choice, we read Proverbs 1 with so much more sadness. But don't we gaze at the Lord Jesus with so much more joy the king who is wise. We've been thinking about the wisdom of Jesus all the way through this evening, but I think it's something we don't normally care much about. And we're grateful for his compassion and his power and his death in our place that enables us to be right with God. But we're not particularly thrilled about his wisdom. And yet, yet we can see in this chapter how much it matters that we have a king who is wise. A king who doesn't let sinners entice him. A king who holds back his foot from their paths. A king who listens to wisdom when she calls. Who pays attention to all her counsel. Verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That is the king that we have in Jesus. As we read together from Isaiah 11, the king on whom the spirit of the Lord has rested, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. That is what we have in the Lord Jesus. The one who, when sinners enticed him, he did not consent. When even the devil enticed him, he held back his foot from that path. 
who when faced with the most anguished choice at the cross, listened to the call of wisdom and chose the fear of the Lord. He is the king that we need. And he is the king who shows us what it is like to walk in that wisdom. As those who are in his kingdom, we benefit from his security. He dwells secure and is at ease without dread of disaster. And as those in his kingdom, we benefit from that. But as we see him living this wise walk, don't we want to walk it too? As we've said already, this book is for the king, but it's also for all of us. It shows the king how to understand the world, and it shows us how to understand the world. It addresses the son, my son, my son, but it extends it to all of us. This is a book that we all need to hear And coming after Jesus, we have a living example in him of what it looks like to live it out. Rather than reading these proverbs as wisdom from a king who's failed, who's longing for his son to do better, hear, O son, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Don't be like me. Rather than that, we read these proverbs as wisdom from the king who has succeeded and who shows his subjects how to do the same. Hear, O sons, hear, brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you got a blank check from God, what would you write? What are you praying for? For yourself, for other people, for the prime minister? If you got a blank check, what would you write? If you want to live well in the world, then write wisdom. You might want to make it a bit more specific, God knows, but you might want to make it more specific. Wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord. Might not sound very exciting. Indeed, you might feel stupid when you choose this sort of wisdom. But remember the verdict of God himself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the ABCs. Remember that it is a matter of life and death. This is the wisdom that counts. And see it in the life of Jesus, the wise king that we need. Don't you want to be more like him? If you got a blank check from God, what would you write? Wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord. I hope that that is what I would write. And it's certainly what God has on offer for us in this book of Proverbs this summer. Let me lead us in a prayer. Thank you, our Father, so much for your precious word to us, and particularly this word to us in the book of Proverbs. We praise you that you give this wisdom to us. We praise you most of all for the wisdom of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is the wise king that we need. And we pray that this summer you would make us more and more like him, that we would grow in wisdom founded on the fear of you, And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.